Good morning. Well, it is a great privilege to share the podium on the park in the park this morning with you guys. Um, I'm starting with sunglasses off with the intention of eye contact. But I have blue eyes, and blue eyes are apparently the weaker of the eyes and are affected more by the sunlight. So if too many tears begin to flow, my sunglasses will be going back on. But the intention is connection and contact. Because I, I saw you preach last week without glasses on, and I thought, oh, I'm going to have to try. This morning, it, as I said, it's a great privilege to be able to share with you. I never take lightly the opportunity to stand in front of basically anyone pursuing God and share what God has done in me or a revelation or my heart. To be able to share some scripture is always, it's a huge privilege. Um, one that I definitely do not take lightly because we come each week to say, God, do something in my life. And... and I feel privileged to be able to have the opportunity to share some of my life. Um, I'm going to share a couple of scriptures, maybe a couple of stories, a little bit of what God's spoken to me about. Um, if I title it as stories as opposed to a sermon, maybe there'll be grace in it not being too long. So these are stories with some scripture in there. I got saved at 16. I made a decision to follow Jesus. Actually, to be honest, it was to not go to hell. I was in a youth group. Someone came along and preached. He said, I nearly died. And if I had have died, who knows where I would have gone. And I thought, well, I don't want to go there. Wherever there is, it doesn't sound nice. So at 16, I made a Jesus, you know, whoever you are, I don't want to go there decision. And God slowly began to get a hold of my heart. I, I had no concept of who... These multiple names were, there was Jesus, there was God, there was Lord, there was fa their Father, there was... I didn't understand, but I knew what I didn't want to do. And so I made a decision, kind of out of fear, to just say, wherever the bad place is, I don't want to go there. And I began my journey, but at 18 I encountered the ex and experienced the power and the love and the grace of God. I was at a camp at Easter... And they said, who wants to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I thought, yeah, I've been reading about this in discipleship. I'm no longer scared of it. I, I want to, God, I think I want this. And I just felt this pull on my heart at 18 at an Easter camp. And I just began to move forward. And I experienced the love and the grace and the power of God in a way that radically changed my life. There was one of those turning points in my life where it was, it was never the same again. I just, I walked out of there with my eyes wide open, just saying to my friends, God's really real. No, God's really real. And I lay in bed with my eyes open at night, just like, oh my gosh, God's really real. God, you're really real. Like I felt you, I experienced you, and I'd, I'd heard about you. I got home to my family and I began to share the stories of encountering the presence and the power of God until my mum came up and said, don't tell those weird stories, you're freaking everybody out. I'm like, I felt like electricity flowing through my body. It felt like love washing over me. And to my family who didn't go to church, they're like, nah, that's enough. You're freaking your sister out. You're, your brother's thinking this is a bit weird. But I was changed. I began to get together with Connor mentioned a good friend of ours, Matt Lansdowne, who I think he may have been here. And we, just, we both just experienced the power of God and we began to get together and pray early in the morning. We would ring each other up with 
stuff God was showing us in the scriptures and it was most of the time wrong because we had no clue but we just opened up and be like wow this is incredible we went on our first missionary adventures together because the pastor said who's led someone to Jesus and we looked at each other and said not me so we set off on our first missionary journey we drove eight hours to the capital I don't know why we couldn't have done it in our city but we drove eight miles to the capital eight hours we bought ourselves some tracks for 50 cents a piece and we, and we set out on the street to win someone to Jesus lacking a little bit of confidence we would lift up newspaper dispensaries and we would hide a track in there as if we were in communist Vietnam slide them under doorways my friend Matt was the bravest of us all he spoke to a taxi driver for about half an hour on how much it would cost to drive from our capital eight hours to where we lived and at the end of the conversation which had nothing to do with God he threw a track at him slammed the door and ran off so he was the bravest evangelist of us too but God began to capture our heart. We began to serve God. We just began to give everything we had. We were out five, six, seven nights a week and all of those mornings in between meeting and discipling young people as we were only just barely learning ourselves what it meant to pursue God. But I came from a family that we joked about being the lesser, the uneducated, the dropouts, the little bit more wild, the aggressive, the drinkers, the partiers. And so we, we would joke about our inefficiency in life and we figured if we get in there before anyone else does then we can laugh about ourselves before anyone else and so I came into church and suddenly as I'm serving the Lord Cam you're doing a great job wow Cam your faithfulness is incredible people are prophesying and speaking great things over my life and on the inside I'm still this insecure <laughs> trying to spot my bad before anyone else does so I can say don't worry it's there I understand it's there, yet still trying to cover myself up and, and pretend like maybe now's my chance to be someone. Now, I dropped out of school early. I didn't have any career. I, my, my job at the time was washing dishes. Um, and so I just figured maybe this is my chance. People don't know me in the past. The ones that, when I said, hey, I've become a Christian, they said, you're the first in your family I thought would be in jail and on drugs. I thought, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> And they'd known me since the age of two or three, so they had a good perspective on my life. But I thought, now's my chance to be somebody. Now's my chance to just give it everything I've got. If anyone's serving, I'm going to serve harder. If anyone's there, I'm going to be there. When the doors are open, I'm going to be there, and I'm going to make something of myself. And people begin to speak into my life, Cam, you're so faithful. Cam, you're doing so good. Can you start this group? Can you start this group? And I began to lead young people. And I would start a life group and then a secondary life group and we began to preach and we began to minister and we started a youth group and and I felt like suddenly I'm making something in my life yet on the inside there was this thing in me going you're still the same cam that is the dropout the lesser than the not quite good enough and I want to read you a scripture this morning that stood out to me a number of years ago and I want to share that with you and then just share a little bit more of what God's shown me on the journey Luke 9, and we're going to look at verses, the second half of 43, up to maybe 50. While everyone was marveling at what Jesus had done, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He's speaking of his death. He had spoken to them many times about this, and most of the time it flew over their head. They just didn't quite understand. Now, he's the victorious king. He is... He's the king that's going to set us free and bring an army. He's, and yes, he was coming as a king, but it was not quite as they expected. 
But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started amongst the disciples as to which one of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you who is the greatest. So they misunderstood him. And then he began to teach again. And instead of acknowledging the challenge to come like a little child, they just launch off into the next misunderstanding. Well, Master, John said, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he wasn't one of us. He wasn't part of our crew. He didn't walk with us in the same way. And Jesus said, do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. He launches off by saying, you know what, the Son of Man is going to be handed over into the hands of men. It's going to be, this kingship is, is going to come about in a way that is not how you expected it. Their misunderstanding and not having the vulnerability to say, you know what, Jesus, I don't understand what you're talking about. They just rolled with their initial assumption. Jesus is the king. He's the prophesied Messiah. He's the one coming in to take this place of kingship. How has that happened all throughout history? The king comes in strong with his army. He takes over. He has men on his left and men on his right. And they will, whoever is the strongest, that's the king. And so they just rolling in their assumption. I misunderstand, but surely he's coming as the powerful king. He's coming as the king to rule over the Roman oppressors. He's going to earn back our kingship by every other way they'd ever seen it. By force, by power. And, Jesus, and so they begin to argue amongst themselves when Jesus comes as this powerful king with swords and horses, with power and might. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the two I see? Who's going to be the lieutenant? Who's, I'm going to be better than you. Well, I'm going to be better than you. Well, I'm clearly stronger than you are, so I'm going to be on this side. Well, okay, fine. Well, if I'm number two, then I'll stand on this side. And then some of the smaller ones at the bottom going, I hope to be some part of it. Maybe the message delivery. Like, Do I get a sword? At least once the battle's over and we've won victory and Jesus is king and we are now in the palace. Where do I fit amongst this? Jesus, knowing their arguments, pulls a child into the middle of them and says, Come like this little child. This is how you will walk with me in kingship. This is how you will walk with me in this kingdom. This is, this is what it's going to look like. That also flies right over to here. Hey, Jesus, we saw some people trying to be a part of this. But they don't walk with you. They're not one of the 12. They're not one of the 72. They're not one of one of our group. And Jesus is going, no, for the second time, you don't understand. If they're for us, they're not against us. And what hit me is when we misunderstand the king, we will misunderstand his kingdom. When we have a picture of Jesus, when we have a picture of God, that is an incorrect picture, we then start to fall in line with that picture. My dad is an amazing dad. He's done the best with what he had. I feel like I need to continue rhyming after that. He did the best with what he had. He has a very strong personality. He was a biker, long hair, leather jackets, beard, stocky, much stockier than me. And so he was an intimidating guy growing up, and he would use that to his advantage. He had a look in his face that would just make people drop their head and walk away. 
and he would do that with us kids. He was, at times, um, would use more than just the look to bring us into line. And so when my dad came into a room, you would never challenge in any way. You would drop your head to show no challenge, and then you would do what he said. My dad was, he did everything he could with what he had, and, and he's, he's a wonderful guy. But we grew up with a bit of fear of my dad. You never challenged, you never questioned back, you just did what he said. If you ever broke something and dad got home, you ran to the neighbours and you rang him from there. Hi dad, I'm at the neighbours. By the way, I'll be home tomorrow, but I broke, the, I put a hole in the wall. Because you can't get smacked through the phone. Who knows, maybe technology will come about one day when you can. It feels like we're heading that way. So when I came to Jesus, my perception of the king was a misperception and I started to fall in line with that misperception. So I figured as long as I'm doing everything right, as long as I never asked a question, as long as I'm serving this powerful king in a powerful way, then hopefully I will have my place in amongst his followers. And every time I felt I came short, I felt I was bumped down the run a little bit further. And for years I gave everything I had to establish my place within this kingdom. And we were, both me and my wife, born again into a ministry that really honoured the effort. They honoured the work, which I understand. There's things we are trying to achieve and, and work is helpful. We did not honour vulnerability. We did not honour, I mean, hearing a sermon on the spirit of gentleness. I was thinking, oh, Jesus, as a young Christian, I would have loved to have heard that. You know, I, I wish I could have heard stuff like that 20 years ago. And so when we misunderstand the king, we misunderstand his kingdom, and then we will misunderstand our position in that kingdom. And we find ourselves fighting and trying to eke our way into this kingdom of God where we put on a happy face. But really, when we're counting where we fit in that kingdom, we're dropping ourselves pretty low. I was reading, I picked a book up, out of a little convenience store in Laird yesterday, just because I thought, what a cool place to pick out a book and, <laughs> and read it from. I was there, I had to buy something. And it's out of this book called Of Moose and Men, Talking on Pride. It says, you can dislike everything about yourself and still be obsessed with proving that you are better than the next person. And that was me, absolutely hating who I was, yet still trying to be better than the next person because... I just had this perception there was only so few positions within the kingdom of God. There's only so many preaching spots, there's only so many places of honor, there's only so many places that I could actually be somebody and be seen and be, be honored or be valued. And so I just thought I hate myself, but as long as I hate myself slowly, there's less than the next person. So maybe more church, maybe more Bible reading, maybe more prayer, maybe more fasting. And I begin fasting every week. And I just... With everything I had, I was, I was going after God. And I was trying to serve as many people as possible. I thought the more young people I was mentoring, the more Jesus would go, yeah, okay, you're doing well. And we did that for year after year after year until I hit the wall. I ran out of steam. One night I actually felt this little physical click with inside my spirit and I thought, uh-oh. I got home that night, I fell over began to cry. I walked in the door, Trish said, how was the meeting? As we had many, many meetings. And I fell on the floor and I just began to cry. And I cried for about an hour. And just something in me broke. The next night I got home from work. 
Thank you, Lord, for this food. Bless it to our bodies. Amen. I said grace for dinner, and then I just hung my head, and I just bawled my eyes out for the next hour until my dinner was cold. I just began to think this can't work because this is killing me. Just to try to earn my way into this kingdom, it's killing me. We served in ministry. We were pastoring in a small campus out of our main church for a little while when I met Connor in the Philippines again. And we sat with these people that just talked about the love of the Father and the grace that flowed from knowing God's goodness. And a hunger in my heart began to rise. And I was just like, God, I want it. Every night on this trip, I would just spend some time in worship and prayer. God, lead me into this. Lead me into this freedom. And on one of the last nights, we were in Manila and Connor was in the room. We were just praying as a group with some of the ministers in the Philippines. And one of the pastors who I'd spent a lot of time talking to there, and he just, he knew God was stirring my heart. He came over, he grabbed my hand and he squeezed, and I knew he had the intention to impart something. And I very, very clearly at that time heard God say, come in. And I knew he was inviting me into something more and something deeper. I came home from that trip burning in my heart to know God, and I would spend every night, at least an hour, just on the floor lying there, just worshipping, God, change me, God, change me. God, change the condition of my heart, change, change the condition of my mind. And God began to speak to me. We went through an incredibly difficult period just after that. We stepped out of pastoring where we had for 13 years, and we were in this no man's land. I thought my rank had dropped to the absolute bottom. Because at least before, I was hating life and hating myself, but at least I had a title. I had the placard on my desk saying, Pastor Cam. I had my business card that I could hand to people and go, well, I'm pastoring down the road. So at least technically, I had some credibility. But now we chose to, in a very difficult decision, step aside from all of that. So now I had nothing. We didn't even know if we would pursue God outside of leadership because as soon as we got saved, we were doing stuff. So we thought, are we going to love God? Are we going to pursue God when we don't have to? And it was one of the scariest times of my life. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of questions. There was a lot of phoning friends. Have I done the right thing? Have I? And I remember in prayer one day, I was sitting with a lady who did something called refocusing, and she would just sit there and just watch you and then ask questions and, and just basically lead you in prayer to God. And she'd say, Cam, you're doing all these actions with your hands. What is this out here? Because when I was talking, I'm just, there's all these actions. She said, what is that? And I said, it feels like a helmet of lead that is on my head. And I said, it comes halfway down my face. And I said, so I just can't see. And I said, it runs all down my back. God speaks to me a lot in imagery. He takes scriptures and just turns it into a picture and speaks to me through it quite often. And the helmet covered most of my back. I said, it's heavy. And I said, it just feels like shame. See, right down to, to the bottom of my back, covering my head, this big helmet of shame. She said, well, what is, what is God doing? And, and I'll try to move through this quickly. I saw God the Father come and hug me. And he gently lifted it off and crumpled it into a little ball and laid it aside and he hugged me. And I, and I felt it. I was like, wow. God, you, you've lifted it off, but I, I, I feel vulnerable now. This thing was covering me. And for those, if you get your hair cut short, when it's cut short, you can feel the wind blowing through it a little bit more. And, and it's this vulnerability. It's what hair was covering, and then you shave it. You can feel the wind blow. And I felt that. And then I, God just wrapped his hand around the back of my neck and hugged me. And I said to God, what do I do? And I turned into a little kid, and then I suddenly 
God the Father was kneeling in front of me and I'm like a little kid. God, I don't know how to do this. And by this I meant ministry, life. With me and my wife have felt the just absolute call of God on our life ever since I was 18 and experienced the power of God. So I was like, God, there's no other way. There's no just going back to a normal life. I'm pursuing you. All of this was wrapped up in that one sentence. God, I don't know what to do. And he looked at me and smiled and stepped up and said, and he gestured and he said, come to the table. And God pointed to a table. And there was a second of frustration going, no, God, I've just said, I don't know how to do this. A life of ministry, a life of grace, a life of love. And you've just pointed to a dining table. I don't think you heard me correctly. Yet there was this draw in my spirit to come and sit at this table. And God smiled and he led me to the table. And I sat down and I felt like the seat was suited to me. It felt like it had been carved specifically to my body. And I sat in the chair and then God the Father sat a couple of seats down and he just looked at me and smiled. And I was like, wow, God, I feel at home. God, I feel at home and I'm doing nothing. I feel at home and I have no position or title. I feel at home and I brought nothing here. I'm just, I'm sitting. And I thought, this is unusual. I'm not at the head of the table yet. I feel no further from Jesus. And all of these things I'm picking up, God, how come I'm not fighting to be at the head of the table? How come, how come I feel so comfortable? How come I feel so at home? How come, and I'm just, I'm, I'm taking all of this in very quickly as God is revealing this to me. And God the Father looked at me and smiled. And I went and sat on his lap and I rested. After that, the lady that I was praying with said, Cam, what did God put in place of the helmet of shame? And I said, well, it looks really weird. But I said, it looks like a crown of life. And it was like a wreath. And I said, it looks like roots that have gone all down my spine and are uh, tapping into my spine. And it just feels like life is, is feeding in where shame once covered. And I said, I can smell it. Fruit's coming on this crown. And God's called us to be faithful and bear fruit. And we do this not just by doing, doing, doing an effort, by trying to eke our way into the position, by looking at where we sit in church and, in, and, and within our communities and go, where do I fit, God? In amongst this powerful community, God, where do I fit? That's not the path of fruit. Jesus brings in a little child and says, come sit at my table. Those who have money to buy or those who don't, come eat and drink, as it says in the Bible. In Hebrews 4.16, he says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. Not that you can pour it out and say, Look how much I've achieved. But it says, Come boldly to the throne of grace that you might receive grace in your time of need. So there's a before the receiving, there's a, Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm walking into the throne of God here. And you've told me to go boldly, not to slide in under the rug, not to hide behind accolades and things I've done, but like a kid. That just boldly walks in and goes, I want this. And we're to boldly come before the throne of grace. That then we might receive grace for our time of need. And so this place of comfort, this place of connection with Jesus, I just began to practice. I was in quite a season of anxiety at that stage. We just felt like we'd thrown away everything I'd spent 13 years or we'd spent 13 years sowing into. Studying at Bible college, working our way up through the rank of church ministry. We were basically at the top. We were going to receive the whole church. We were going through the process of working out the finance of a reasonably large church with multiple campuses. And for a decade, we had been taught how to take over this place. 
but God was increasingly taking our heart on a different journey. And we had to step aside from that. Step aside from the ranks, step aside of what we had earned. And so day after day, when anxiety would spring up, Cam, you're doing nothing, you've thrown it all away, you're, who are you now that you have nothing? I had to, I shut my business down to go into ministry, and so I had to go back into full-time work, having shut my company down. I'd given up some stuff for this. And so every day I'd be at work and I'd be banging in nails, I'm in construction, and I would feel anxiety creep up. I would close my eyes and imagine the smile of the Father inviting me to come sit with Him. And I would feel the anxiety just slide away. And God would invite me into more and more and the revelation would grow. He would say, Cam, that crown of leaves around your head, those leaves, like in the book of Revelation, are for the healing of the nations. Not my strength, not my might, but the revelation of God's goodness. Okay, so I would practice, I was writing about it, I was thinking about it every single day. Sometimes 20 times in a day I would close my eyes. I'd be on a ladder, I'd be hanging off scaffold and I'd just remember what God is showing me. I'm going to come to a close quickly because I know it's warm. I was here last weekend. <laughs> I was on a trip in Indonesia and I was asked, Cam, if you'd appreciate today, what are you speaking on? I said, I have to speak on this vision of come to the table. I have to, it's just burning in my heart and it has now for about four years been burning in my heart. And the next person next to me, a, a lady from Malaysia who I'd only just met an hour before, she was asked, if you just preach today, what are you preaching on? She said, my vision have come to the table. And she looked at me and I said, can we talk later? We were in between meetings and we we're walking to dinner. And I said to her, you just said you had a vision of come to the table. She said, yeah, about two years ago, I stepped out of ministry and I was like, that's my story, carry on. And she said, I was I was just anxious and I'd stepped out of a long period of ministry. I, I was going, God, what's happening in my life? I don't know what to do. And she said, I had a vision of me being like a little girl crying in front of God the Father. And goosebumps come on my skin at that time. I said, carry on. And she said, I saw God the Father stand up and just gesture and say, come to the table. And I went and sat at the table and I'm just like, my body's buzzing. I'm like, oh my gosh. We're walking through this mall at the time being taken out to dinner. She says, I sat at the table and God the Father just welcomed to me and his smile drew me in. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly the same as mine. I hadn't got up and shared at that stage. And we got to this restaurant, they opened this big door and there's this big banquet table. And we looked at each other and said, at the same time, that's what it looked like in my vision. And we're just staring there and everyone's grabbing their seats and we're just kind of in awe and, and, and blown away by what God was doing. From two different nations at the same time, God had shown us something similar and was revealing it to both of us just to encourage us on this journey. And I said, if you don't mind, I'm going to sit third from the end just because that's where I would always sit in the vision when I would go back and practice and remember. And she said, Cam, I would always sit second from the end. And so we sat next to each other and just talked about, I don't even know if we ate dinner. We were just, what else did God show you? And what else did God show you? And, and God the Father spoke to me about this. And He spoke to me about this. And, and we just sat and worshipped God as he, while we were eating dinner. We went to the next meeting where I was about to share. And a new friend I had just met from Sri Lanka comes over in worship, puts his arm on me and says, Cam, I feel, I saw a picture in worship. As you get up to share this revelation of, of being able to come and sit at the table with God the Father, to not earn your way in, but like the prodigal son, come and celebrate with a loving father. He said, I see a picture of God putting like a crown of, of leaves that are living around your head. And he said, I see roots coming off the back of that and just connecting all in down your spine. And he said, as you speak on this, I, I see fruit growing on that crown. 
and I was absolutely blown away by the encouragement God was bringing and the revelation had given me. And it was not to be the best at anything. It was to know my place as a child to come before God. And those of you who are thinking that sits quite, seems quite passive to sit at a table. That is the launching pad for everything else. Like John the Beloved leaning back into the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper sitting around the table was the base, was the place to launch off a ministry where he would pour out the love and the grace of God. And this is a rhythm we must find ourselves in is, is not fighting our way into the kingdom of God, not trying to establish ourselves by what we do, but understanding our place at the table of God to come and rest. When we understand the king, we understand the kingdom and we understand the way in which we can function within that kingdom. And so we find ourselves resting in God. And then from that place, we can invite other people into that rest. When we can find ourselves within the grace of God, we can invite others into that grace. And the beautiful thing is it's a big table. There are many seats. There are many places for people to come and find their place. I love even as you said uh, in communion, one of the times we were here, it's an open communion. If you are here and then you're in pursuit of Jesus, you don't have to belong necessarily to this church. Confess exactly the same as we confess. But if your journey is to encounter Jesus, come. Not by what you've achieved, but by the direction you're facing. If you're going after Jesus, come. If this is what you want, come.